Gentlemen, happy Father's Day. It's a joy to wish you the best Father's Day you've ever had, and I hope that happens for you today. One of the greatest joys in my life and one of the greatest challenges in my life has been to be a dad of our three boys. I love those guys, and they have brought so much joy and life and excitement into our lives, and it's just been a real privilege to get to be their dad. I borrowed a motto, kind of a goal for my life from a friend uh, that says, I want to be known as the dad of Chris, Matthew, and Joshua. Now that hadn't always turned out the way I wanted it to, but most of the time by far it has. I'm proud of those boys. And I am thankful that God trusted me to raise men of God. And I'm just rejoicing at who those men are. I was blessed myself to have a great dad. And I'm thankful for his input and influence in my life. He was very involved in my life. And uh, uh, I miss that guy. He died in 1995. And even 25 years later, I sit here sometimes and wish I could ask dad this, or I wish I could ask dad that. When he died, he left a big hole in my life, but he left an ongoing influence in my life that I experience to this day. In fact, the voice of God in my life sounds a whole lot like the voice of my dad. Um, I know that all of you, haven't been as blessed as I've been to have a dad like that or have an experience with a dad like that. Um, some of you aren't dads yet. And so let me just lay down this little challenge to you. You still have a great opportunity. You can be the best uncle that your nieces and nephews have. Set that as a goal to pour your life and influence into those nieces and nephews. Some of you uh, had some real bad experiences with your dad and caused hurt way down deep and, and you're broken in, in deep places. And uh, my heart breaks for you. There are two things I want to tell you today. Number one, your heavenly father is the dad, the father, you always dreamed of. And he wants to be that in your life. You can trust him. And my prayer for you today is that he will just reach you uh, around you with his big old arms and just hug you tight to him today and convince you way down deep in your heart how much he loves you and it's never too late to have that great relationship with him. I want to say it again, you can trust him. The second thing I want to say is, if you're somebody who has suffered this kind of pain from, from a bad dad, uh, determine that in your family, it stops with you. No matter what generational pain has come to you, Determine that you're going to break the cycle in your family and set your family on a better, higher, more noble 
trajectory. You're going to be the dad that they can trust and love. Now, you can't do this by yourself. You're going to need your helper, the Holy Spirit, to step up alongside you and develop in you the character of God that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to be the dad that sees his children's faces light up with joy when you walk into the room. That can happen with you with the help of the Holy Spirit. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. Happy Father's Day. Good morning. Pastor Matt asked me to give an update from our group that's meeting to decide when to regather as a church. As many of you are aware, that group consists of people in the medical profession, and people in our community, business leaders, and church leadership. And I just want to start by commending Love Chapel Hill's leadership team in terms of being very deliberate, looking at the numbers to decide when to regather and reiterating that the church is not closed. We're continuing to receive incredible messages through these videos, as well as all of the things behind the scenes that the church is doing to continue to support our community. In terms of the medical side of things, we have not peaked in at in North Carolina yet. We've had over 1,100 deaths in North Carolina. Currently, we had close to 50,000 positive cases, and there's 871 people in our North Carolina hospital systems, specifically at UNC. Our intensive care unit is currently about half, if not more, filled with uh, COVID positive patients. That's our medical intensive care unit. We're seeing pediatric patients who are getting incredibly sick with this disease. Within Durham County, we have had 60 deaths and Orange County 40. I think it's comical in a sense when we talk about the second peak in the fall because we haven't peaked yet here. So it's the recommendation of this small group as well as our church leadership not to regather at this time but continue to be very very wise and looking at the data and deciding as a group based on uh, this disease spread when to begin to regather. I like everybody else and missing our church community and I'm very very excited when we can regather but I just wanted to give a very quick update that it's we feel very confident that now is not the time and as I commend our church leadership I want to repeat something that Matt said which really really resonates that leading sometimes means going last and I cannot tell you how proud I am of Love Chapel Hill being a leader and being conscientious of what this means to our congregation and the importance of continuing to be open as a church, but to delay regathering. And we will continue to meet as a team and look at when we think that's appropriate. But I just wanna let you know that right now, the safest and the most prudent thing to do is to, to wait, to regather. Hi, everybody. We are Matt and Rachel Ruderboris, and we've been coming to Love Chapel Hill for about three years now. Hard to believe. And one of our favorite things about church at Love Chapel Hill is serving in the discovery class. We miss our discovery kids and their parents, 
and we can't wait to be together again with you soon. We're here today to invite you to visit lovechapelville.com for any help that you may need, and that could be grocery or pharmacy pickup, a friend to chat or to pray with, or any other specific needs related to COVID-19. When you're on the front page of the website, be sure to scroll down and you'll find information about virtual groups, prayer meetings, love missions, and special options for kids. Please know that we're here for you, and we love you, and we want to do anything for you that we can. So that's it for us. Now we're going to pass it back to Joel. Hello, friends. My name is Joel, and this is my son, Evan. You want to say hi? Hi. We want to say a special welcome to anyone joining us for the first time, or if you've been uh, watching us for a short while. We want to invite you to let us know that you're here. Uh, you can do this by clicking our virtual connect cards. You can find this on either our Facebook or YouTube options, whatever you're watching us on. Uh, also, if you have any questions about the church, the message, anything else, or a story you want to tell us, you're totally welcome to fill out that card. I will personally get back to you and help you out and say hello. Now, please hang on for a little while longer. We got a special, special message by Pastor Matt and a closing uh, benediction by Pastor April. But before we go, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and father figures. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Bye. Out in you, find me. 
religion And I'm laying down I want to know you, Lord And I'm laying down All my religion And I'm laying down I want to know you, Lord I want to know you, Lord Hey, Love Chapel Hill. I want to start by saying Happy Father's Day. Uh, and in that spirit, I want to remind us of the challenge at the end of the message last week. Um, we asked you that question of who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? And I love the way Paul described with such intimacy his relationship with Timothy. It's this discipleship relationship that he referred to as, um, as a father and son contending together in the gospel, working together in the gospel. And he gives us this beautiful partnership uh, picture there and relationship picture. Um, we talked about the fact that we know on that macro scale, the ministry of Paul as this missionary to the world. And yet we also caught the glimpse of that micro scale that he was also a mentor to Timothy. So I want to remind you of that and challenge you uh, to keep wrestling with that question if you haven't answered it yet. Who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? Who is someone that you are pouring into? Um, in this discipleship relationship, discipleship moves along relational lines. And who is it that is pouring into you? Um, and I want to really challenge you to keep uh, praying through that and ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction on who those people need to be in your life and those voices in your life. Uh, discipleship is to Jesus. We are discipled to Jesus. Uh, discipleship is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, discipleship is into a deeper union with the Father, uh, but discipleship is with each other. It's something that uh, we journey in together. And so dads, specifically, I want to challenge you today to make sure that you are um, a discipling voice in the lives of your children. They're watching you. Um, and I want to challenge you to follow Jesus in such a way that if your children follow you, they will walk right into the arms of their Heavenly Father. Uh, and for all of us in the church, um, let's continue to allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the need around us uh, for discipleship and the need within us in our own lives. So keep wrestling with that question. All right, we're going to keep moving now into Philippians chapter 3 today. We have finally finished chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start out in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. Uh, we find another shift in Paul's uh, tone here in the letter. Uh, he's gone through a few different phases already in the first two chapters, and now we're into a different phase of the letter. In chapter 1, he begins with this... Uh, this theme of joy, this continual theme of what Christian joy looks like and how Paul is moved by this Christian joy and rooted in Christian joy, even though he's writing to the church in Philippi from a prison cell. Uh, even though he has been imprisoned by the Roman Empire, uh, still 
he is rooted and anchored in this sense of joy in Jesus Christ. He also talks uh, about this theme of affection in Christ Jesus that he has for this church. And so he writes them in those tones of deep affection and this longing to be with them again. And he talks in, in terms of encouragement. Uh, and so that's an interesting way that he begins chapter one. As he moves into chapter two, it takes on more of a tone of instruction and spiritual challenge as he talks to them about what it looks like to be united with each other in Christ. Um, and then he gives them this beautiful picture and us, this beautiful picture, uh, this theological masterpiece of the Christ hymn right there in the heart of Philippians 2, which is the heart of the entire letter, uh, showing us this picture of the uh, pre-existent uh, nature of Jesus, that Jesus is in very nature God, points to the scandalous mystery of the incarnation, uh, the power of Jesus's ministry, uh, the revolution of his uh, sacrificial death on the cross, uh, the victory of his resurrection, and the unrivaled reign of Jesus in his ascension, where he sits on the throne as the king over all now. Um, and so we get that beautiful picture. Then he shifts into that intimate language about Timothy uh, and intimate language about his friend Epaphroditus. Uh, and now the tone changes again. Uh, and this is a Paul who has now moved into really strong language of challenge and confrontation. Uh, this is a Paul that we know well. We see this Paul show up throughout his letters. Um, and, and, and this part of him and his heart is coming through here. Uh, he does not hold anything back in the way that he confronts people who are trying to undercut the faith of this church in Philippi. And so that's what he's dealing with um, here in chapter 3. So let's read verses 1 through 11 together, and then we're going to walk through uh, those verses and unpack them together. Here's what he says, uh, verse 1. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things." I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know 
Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Powerful language from Paul here. Uh, this is absolutely beautiful, uh, and it is a theological masterpiece, what he lays out um, in these few verses. Here's what Paul is saying. We're going to walk through it just bit by bit together. Um, at the beginning, he makes this statement of saying that he is repeating what he's already said to them. Uh, a, a lot of scholars point to the fact that they believe that there are other letters also that Paul has written to this church. Uh, very likely that that happened. Um, also, his personal contact with people and his teaching as he was planting this church. Um, they have heard this message from him before, and he says, I'm going to keep repeating it because this is the core of the message uh, that Jesus has anointed me to preach. And so uh, he's coming back to the heart of this message before. What you just heard read here that's specific to Philippians chapter 3 is also something that we see across so many of his other letters that he's writing into other contexts. Um, this is the heartbeat of Paul's ministry, pointing us to uh, salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so this is the heartbeat of Paul's ministry. Uh, he goes on to use some very interesting language and at first pretty troubling language when we really think about it, uh, referring to opponents of the gospel as dogs. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. That is very vivid uh, and harsh language that Paul is using for these people. What's he getting at there? Um, the, the word dog is, is um, often understood as an insult. What Paul is saying here uh, is not so much insult as it is warning. Okay, so it's, it's not language that's meant to degrade, uh, but it's language about danger. Um, if you are walking up to uh, visit a friend and you're, you're walking up into the yard and in the yard there's a sign that says, beware of dog. Uh, that's not an insult uh, to that dog. It's a warning to you uh, that says, be on your guard. Keep your eyes open. Um, and be on your guard against an attack uh, and, and for your own safety. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, we get this image of these dogs, bared teeth, um, the possibility of danger and attack that is coming from them. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, he says that uh, God, has, God who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it about to completion. And so now in this message, he's warning them. And he's saying there are people out there who are out to attack you who want to undercut that. And as God is bringing your faith to completion, there are opponents who want to cut that off before the completion can happen. And so it's a word of warning that he's given to them. Uh, these mutilators of the flesh. Uh, that is referring uh, to the covenant of circumcision. And in the Jewish faith, the physical uh, act of circumcision is the sign of this covenant relationship between the people of Israel 
and Yahweh. And so there are once again in the Philippian church as well as other churches, and we see this in the book of Acts in the ministry of Paul, uh, there are people who are trying to push this agenda that says before you can become a Christian, you must become Jewish. And so that this faith is a faith that comes through uh, a Jewish man, Jesus. It comes through that Jewish lineage uh, that goes back to David and to Moses and to Abraham. And so it comes through, God is blessing the entire world through the Jewish people. And now there are people at the uh, outset of Christianity who are saying that that has to continue, that in order to come into the Christian faith, you also have to become a Jewish person uh, and take on that sign of that covenant relationship. Paul is pushing back and he's saying, absolutely not. Uh, the sign of the new covenant is not an outward sign of the flesh, but it's the sign of a renewed heart, uh, a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit and carrying within us that assurance of our salvation through grace, by faith in Christ alone. As the Holy Spirit gives us that assurance that we have been brought into the family of God under God the Father. Um, so Paul is pushing back strongly about that and he intentionally uses this language, very strong language, uh, about warning um, and about exactly what it is that these people are trying to do. And so he's pushing back against that. He goes on to say this, which is a really bold statement as well. Uh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, in this outward sign of the flesh. Um, I found that really interesting. So it's not saying that circumcision... Uh, is just something that you do. Uh, but he says that is who we are. That is who we are. This isn't just about something that you do. It is about who you are becoming um, and that we are brought into that covenant relationship and we are becoming a new creation in Christ and brought into that family of God. Then he goes into this uh, uh Paul, very Paul-like passage um, where he boldly lays out his own statistics, basically. All right. He's laying out his resume and he's saying, listen, uh, if anyone thinks that they have reason to place confidence in their flesh, I have more. Really bold statement for Paul to make. And he begins to list out all of his credentials. Um, not just uh, born in the, in the people of Israel, uh, circumcised on the eighth day according to the Old Testament law, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, um, a Pharisee, and as for zeal for God, he was even willing to persecute the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, Paul says. And so he lays that out and he says, if anybody else thinks that they have confidence, I have more. Now that sounds incredibly arrogant, but it's not. Uh, Paul is recognizing uh, that he is coming from this place of privilege and that it's required of him to lay that down, to lay that down, to come from this place of privilege and pride into a place of repentance 
and openness to being broken, when he realizes the depth of his own sin and how desperate he is for the grace of Jesus, how desperate he is to be transformed by the grace of Jesus. And so then he says, everything that I stacked up that was to my own credit, everything that I thought was to my profit, I now look back and consider it as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Everything that I built up for myself, my eyes have been opened now and I realize how weak all of that was. And I am desperate for the strength of Christ in my life. That's what I need. Um, he goes on to use this word uh, in this version that I have. It's translated as rubbish. Sometimes it gets translated as garbage. Um, but he's pointing to everything that he stacked up and he's saying it's nothing. It's loss and it's rubbish. Um, it's an interesting Greek word there. It, it, the Greek word is skubalon, which is fun to say. Feel free to say that at home. Uh, and then realize that you said a word that's possibly inappropriate, okay? Uh, there are some scholars who will say, and they go back and forth on this. There's different debate on this, but there's some scholars who say that him choosing that word uh, was him being intentionally inappropriate. Uh, he chooses a word that he knows is not proper, that he knows is not polite, because not only can it mean rubbish or garbage, it could also mean dung, and it could also be used in a slang kind of way. And so that's what Paul is saying. Everything that he has stacked up, that's what it is. Another twist on that word that I find interesting that I didn't know about until this time of going through and studying is it's, it can also be referred to and also point to uh, scraps and waste that are given to the dogs. And so Paul is saying, maybe in connection to this challenge of this warning against these people that are out to get these new believers and out to undercut and attack their faith, he's saying to them, you know what? what I thought was a banquet table that I was setting, they can have that. They can have that. Um, those who are out to attack can help themselves to that. I've found something so much better in Jesus Christ. And so Paul points us to that. He goes on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings in the cross. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it's often used to uh, refer to deep community that is built within the Christian church and this kind of ideal sense of community. And as Christians, we need to realize that one of the most prominent places that it shows up is right here in Philippians chapter three. And what kind of fellowship are we talking about? It's not just sitting around in a living room together, even though we love that. It's not just uh, sitting across from the table with each other, sharing coffee, even though we love that. Uh, it's not just gathering for a meal, even though we love that. Christian community goes even deeper and it's a fellowship in sharing in each other's sufferings, but even deeper than that in sharing in the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christians embrace the cross and everything that 
that means. Paul is challenging the people uh, that freedom has come and he's really challenging them, don't go back. Do not go back. There are people who will come and try to undercut that freedom. There are people who are gonna come and try to tell you that you have to do something else uh, and that it's not only faith and grace and through Jesus Christ, but that there's more that you have to add onto that. And he says, those people are trying to enslave you. You have been set free. Do not go back. And so Paul is challenging every one of us today to step into that freedom that is offered in a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the weird things about uh, doing church by video is that uh, even though most of you are watching this on Sunday or some other time later, um, we actually have to record this obviously before. And so we end up, Rudy and I get together most Fridays and we ended up recording this on Friday for the most part. And today uh, is Friday, June 19th. Uh, and this is a day that marks the holiday uh, and the commemoration of Juneteenth. A day that remembers June 19th, 1865, when news finally reached enslaved people in the state of Texas uh, that Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation and they were no longer enslaved. They were free. Even though Lincoln had signed that a full two years plus before, the news finally arrived to them and they were free. So we celebrate that today and we mark that and we remember that. Uh, and in remembering that uh, and reflecting on it, I was reminded of a story um, of the, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And there's an exhibit there in the Museum of the Bible um, of something called the Slave Bible. Um, even that the fact that that exists should pierce our hearts uh, and should absolutely break our hearts that that even exists. Um, but as you dig into the story of what it is, it, it, it gets far worse. Uh, this is an English translation of the Bible from the 1800s um, that enslavers used um, in their words to evangelize the enslaved, uh, to disciple the enslaved in Christianity. Uh, that power dynamic, that whole image right there should just break your heart, even thinking about that. Um, but as they prepared to do that, they realized that there are some passages in the scripture that could be dangerous to their purposes. And so they set out to edit scripture so that they could use it in the way that they wanted to use it. They decided to remove any reference in the Bible that would incite revolution or would awaken a longing for liberation. And so as they set out to edit in that way, um, it shouldn't surprise you that what was left over is a Bible that is hardly recognizable to any of us today. 
Uh, the curator of the museum says that uh, the standard Protestant Bible has 1,189 chapters in it. This version of the Bible has 232 chapters. 50% of the New Testament is missing. 90% of the Old Testament is gone. They realized as reading through the story of God, this liberating story of God who comes to his people to set us free from the slavery of sin and not just in an abstract way and not just in theological language about slavery to sin, but also the centerpiece story of the Old Testament, the story that defined the identity of God's people from then until now is a story of a God who liberates and a God who frees. As we've already said, uh, quoting the theologian James H. Cohn, any theology that is indifferent towards liberation is not Christian theology. In the words of Paul here in Philippians chapter 3, he is adamant that people experience the freedom and the liberation that is available in Jesus Christ. We celebrate that today. We're grateful for that today. And we pray that you might experience that as well. And that liberation is not only something that happens within, but it is something that stirs up in us and works itself out of us and impacts the society around us. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. It's good to be with you this Sunday. I want to invite you to Bible study this Tuesday night at 7 p.m., where I will share about my experience in East Asia through stories and pictures and videos. I want to invite you personally to be a part of this um, and to ask questions and to just listen um, because you've been a part of sending me to East Asia. You have a heart for missions and you sent me and I'm so excited to join again with you and connect with you face to face. Um, I'm thankful for Zoom in this time and that we can connect. So I hope to see you there this Tuesday at 7 p.m. Hello, Love Chapel Hill. Thank you for gathering with us today. We're so glad you joined us. Before closing out, there was something I wanted to share with you. This is a bowl my dad made for me with his hands. It's not only beautiful, but it serves a special purpose. It holds the yarn that I use to crochet, which is something my talented mom taught me to do. I'm also wearing jewelry that was created by my sister. I grew up surrounded by loved ones that were passionate about taking things and transforming them into something beautiful and purposeful. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. We are the work of his hands being made beautifully with great purpose. 
we are facing much pressure from circumstances and trials in life. And we are all longing to be purposeful vessels. And he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. He will empower us with his spirit to live out his love. So let's pray together as a unified body. We are all the work of his hands. Let's cry out like Moses did in Psalm 90. May the beauty of the Lord rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you for being the great potter, for molding us and making us so patiently. We surrender to your spirit. We long to be responsive to your making, to be faithful and confident in you and what you have prepared for us. Empower us with your bold wisdom and your humble strength. Lord, help us to see and listen with your heart. Help us to speak words that are dripping with grace and are a fountain of life. Lord, root out that in us that dishonors you and each other and deepen the roots we have in your spirit. Remind us, Lord, that we are secure in the making of your hands, that you are making us purposeful vessels of your love and your truth. We commit all of this to you, God, for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We love you, church family.